Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mamba Moments, completing the Believe Network crossover here. Uh, Michael Duarte and Nick Hamilton, both co-hosts of amazing Believe in Lakers podcasts who have some great Kobe stories on there. I highly recommend people check out with awesome guests. Had me on to share my own Kobe stories, and it was one of the best experiences uh, of my life. Truly, I, I totally credit, you know, all power to the Black Mamba for inspiring that whole crossover. And I've been fortunate to get to know Nick and Michael a little bit and just really appreciate getting to know them. Would love to uh, have them share some of their stories today because I've gotten to hear some of them and they're amazing. And also, Michael is a sports writer, columnist, and reporter for NBCLA. And Nick is a media personality who covers sports and pop culture for Nightcast Media. And it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Nick. Black Mamba's birthday was August 23rd, 1978, just so you all know. But today is Nick Hamilton's birthday. Uh, Very excited to have you guys here today. So let's get into it. Um, what was each of your favorite moments being able to interact with Kobe Bryant? Um, I think, well, first of all, thank you for the birthday wishes. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you for having me on this platform. I, I appreciate it as well. Uh, I would have to say the last time I ran into Kobe Bryant, uh, which was about a week before his untimely passing, and just watching him interact with the kids, he has such a heart and a passion for youth. Um, and really teaching not just sports to youth, but the, the ability of, of hard work and dedication and teamwork and understanding the sacrifices that have to be made in order to be great. And really wanted to give an advantage uh, to kids in this country because he, obviously he, he was a kid that grew up in Italy for a time. Uh, he understood how globally how kids are exposed to certain things. And that's why they, are ability to, they have the ability to be great in their respective sports because they start out at such a young age. And I think that's what he was trying to instill into some of the kids, um, you know, in, in, in our country. And so uh, having being at bank of California stadium, which is the home of the LAFC, uh, the MLS team, uh, Kobe Bryant, obviously him being a, a, a partner with uh, the sports drink company, uh, body armor, shout out to body armor. Um, and so they put together this 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 clinic and they had a bunch of you know MLS players as well to come out and they had a, a commemorative uh, MLS 25 edition bottle uh, that was presented by Body Armor uh, on top of that. So, uh, you know, just having Kobe out there and watching him interacting and, you know, us interacting with him in the media and, you know, try to set something up later on down the line uh, to try to get a one on one with him at some point. Uh, even if I had to drive down to Orange County in his office, I was willing to do it. If he was, they told me, oh, okay, all you have is 15 minutes. Hey, it takes me 45 minutes to get to Orange County from where I live. That 15 minutes would have been worth it. Absolutely. If that's all I had. And so that's what I was looking forward to. And then unfortunately we got the news uh, the following Sunday uh, that, you know, he had, he had, uh, you know, passed away along with eight other people uh, in an unfortunate helicopter crash, but just knowing what he's done for the community, around Los Angeles, what he's done in black and brown communities, um, you know, what he's done with homelessness and, you know, dealing with him and his wife, uh, created a foundation to deal with homeless teens, 
I mean, just everything that Kobe Bryant embodied. I mean, he was he was the son that we adopted as far as the city of Los Angeles is concerned. Um, watching him grow up from the time he was 17 years old, uh, watching, you know, all three of his kids, uh, four of his kids rather be born, um, you know, and grow up before our eyes. I mean, we, we pretty much watched Kobe Bryant grow up, switch shoe companies, um, you know, and, and just be that larger than life figure. He was iconic. He was a global icon that loved Los Angeles, loved the people of Los Angeles. And those are my fond memories of Kobe Bryant, man. Just, uh, just being around him, man. And just his energy was infectious. Wow. And, uh, you know, there'll never be another one like him. Never. I mean, oh, Kobe wow. Bryant was bigger than Michael Jordan. He was bigger than LeBron Ooh. James. That's you know if anybody can argue if he you know if he was better or not that's fine but bigger as far as numbers wise when you got it, people in China in the Philippines crying and hanging on tree branches just to get a glimpse of Kobe Bryant as if he was Michael Michael Jackson or somebody uh, that speaks volumes and the impact that he had globally but here in LA he's our guy amazing yeah so Skyler I'll I'll it's answer that question. Um, by telling three small individual stories leading up to what you asked, which was my most memorable experience interacting with Kobe. So first and foremost, before I became a sports journalist um, and I worked in the entertainment industry, I was at Disneyland one time and we were over by the, uh, over by the haunted house, haunted mansion, whatever it's called now. And close to kind of where the Pirates of the Caribbean ride were in between that area, the kind of like New Orleans area of Disneyland. And suddenly I saw this just like crowd swarm of people like going down by like the lake that was there swarming somebody. And so we walked over and sure enough, it was Kobe Bryant and Vanessa walking around Disneyland. Wow. And this was this was a long time ago. This was uh, before Capri and Bianca were born. This was a young Gianna and a young Natalia. And he had Gigi up on his shoulders and people were just swarming him to take pictures and talk to him, be close to him. And he was very actually respectful and nice to the fans and took pictures with them. And I just watched from a distance of Kobe being a dad away from the court, away from everything and just watched how happy he was and happy to be there. And he knows when you walk around Disneyland, he's going to get swarmed everywhere he goes. But he took it in stride and, and you know, made everybody's day the best he could. I did not want to bother him when he was like in his private time with his family. And so I just, you know, snapped pictures from afar and watched and got to kind of marvel at this man from a distance. And I probably went home that day kicking myself that I didn't go talk to him or didn't bug him and take a photo with him. But everything happens for a reason. And as it would turn out uh, almost circuitous later on in life, I would get to meet him and get to interact with him and get to stick a microphone in his face and, you know, see him more as a peer one-on-one -on -one than just this adoring fan. And so that leads me to my most memorable moment interacting with him, which is a story that I told you already, Skylar, that you know about. Uh, this was his final season. This was the 2016 season. And I would say a few games before, three or four games before his final game, there was a home game for the Clippers. It was Lakers versus Clippers with the home court being the Clippers court. And like I said, this was about four to five games before 
his final game against the Utah Jazz that we discussed uh, on our most recent episode of the podcast on April 13th, 2016. And I knew that April 13th, 2016 would be an absolute zoo. It would be madness. There would be hundreds and hundreds of fans everywhere. And my ability to interact with Kobe would be, I don't know, at a, at a much greater distance than it would be if I tried to attend this Clippers game. And so I went to the Clippers game and it was actually funny because I was covering the Dodgers in San Diego that weekend. I drove up uh, just to be there for this game and then drove back to San Diego that night right after the game. And so I covered the game, interviewed Kobe. Uh, at that point, we had moved out of the locker room and into the hallway because the, the media was getting larger and larger, as Nick can remember. And then I waited for him to grab his bag, say his goodbyes and start to walk to his car. And this is like the bowels of Staples Center where uh, you're seeing the behind the scenes stuff. The Zambonis are out there, uh, you know, equipment and trash cans are out there and we're walking, you know, down these dark tunnels to the player's parking area. And so I started walking with him. And at one point I said, hey, Kobe, can I talk to you? And he stopped and he turned to me and uh, he knew who I was, but I still introduced myself formally again <clears throat> and said, you know, Kobe, I just have to thank you because I wouldn't be a sports journalist say I wouldn't be working for NBCLA. I wouldn't be nominated for the awards I've been nominated for. If it wasn't for you, you made me want to like, like you mentioned, life is short, you know, live it, be happy, do what you love. And you made me want to do that. And you made me change career paths in the middle of my life. And you know, become a sports journalist and get to the point I'm at. And so I just wanted to thank you because I wouldn't be here without you. And I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. He put his arm around me and said, Michael, thank you for telling me that. That really means a lot. I'm proud of you. Keep going. And uh, I said, thank you. And, you know, he walked to his car and left. So then we'll flash forward to almost over three years later. And right here is December 29th. 2019. This is the last time Kobe attended a Lakers game. This is the orange WNBA sweatshirt that Nick talked about. This is the game he went to with Gianna. You can see he's holding his Philadelphia Eagles beanie in his hand there. Yep. Uh, that's what wow. he was wearing sitting courtside for that game. And so at halftime, uh, I was fortunate enough to be seated courtside, maybe 10, 15 feet from where Kobe was sitting. And so at halftime, as he got up to kind of go in the back and hang out, I approached him. He remembered me, said, what up, Michael? Boom, handshake, hug, and just kept on going on his way. And so, you know, that kind of brings it full circle because I went from a man who admired this man at a distance to interacting with him as a journalist for many years to then having the courage to tell him how I felt about him and how he changed and impacted my life to then him still remembering me years later, you know, when I run into him at a Lakers game uh, and dapping me up, which I thought was, was very exciting and made my moment. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I'll say as Nick can attest to uh, I was invited to uh, two, two one-on-one -on -one interviews with Kobe Bryant uh, prior to his death. One was at the 2018 Super Bowl, which I couldn't fly back to LA to, to do the interview. And then it was the interview Nick was talking about just days before his death at the Bank of California Stadium. I unfortunately uh, was on a plane for Paris the day before 
And so I was unable to, to do the interview. And I regret that because you always think you'll have more time and more opportunities to, to see this man and interview this man. And I didn't get to, but those moments I just mentioned on here, those three moments are what I'll never forget. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Thank you both for sharing so much. Yeah, Michael, I mean, as, as someone who did not get to meet Kobe, uh, but really looked up to him, as we know, I went to his final game. It, it, it's almost fulfilling to hear that story and that that's how I would hope it would go and that that's how it was. Because as we know, as we've discussed, as we've alluded to, Kobe Bryant was about evolution. The number eight was very different than the number 24, as Josh Powell mentioned on the podcast last week. And I think number 24 uh, really embodied, you know, who, who Michael was able to meet. And then Nick, man, you getting to do uh, one of the last times speaking with Kobe Bryant and, and seeing that picture, it, it's just incredible really. And so something I'd love to bring up with you guys, you know, as sort of seasoned sports journalists and, and who have grown up in LA and watched Kobe is what is your favorite experience either covering Kobe, like specifically covering one of his games or just watching him play? Because even though he left this massive off-court basketball legacy that we'll continue talking about, what about on the court? Um, I think one – well, there are many instances, but I think one in particular is just watching the way he warmed up, watching his preparation. I know a lot of – we hear a lot of players say he would work on the same shot 50 to 100 times sometimes. And – we getting in. I mean, the first time I was able to cover a Lakers game, and you get out, you get there early because you hyped. You know, you, if you're a sports journalist and you, you know, it's your first time covering, like you get like the Lakers, there's certain teams that are like the, the thing Lakers, you know, Yankees, Dodgers. There's certain teams out there that you're able to cover that you're like, okay, this is, I've, I think I may have arrived here, you know, and. When I got up, I got the call to cover my very first Lakers game with Kobe Bryant still playing on the team. And I got there early, checked in, got my credential, tried to figure out where to set my stuff down. And it was a little nerve wracking. And I'd head out to the court and you see Kobe Bryant dribbling, literally just dribbling. Wow. Dribbling. Then he would switch hands. He would dribble with this hand. It's almost like he was counting in his head how many times he had to dribble the ball in that spot to make yeah. sure that his dribble was perfect for game time. And then he would ginger, he would, he would slowly move around the court. So he would throw up his shot. He would hit the same shot. And I swear I must have counted at least 50 times. He hit that same shot. He would not move. It was one guy under the basket. There was another guy maybe near the three-point line out near the perimeter. He was shooting yeah. threes. So he was working on threes at that particular moment. And he had his, you know, his gear on. And the guy was giving it all as if he was in the fourth quarter with like 30 seconds on the line and the Lakers were down by one. That's how he was approaching it. That's the energy that you felt. And you see all these people taking photos and they're so busy engulfed in photos. I had to stop for a moment and say, wow, this guy really does do the same exact thing X amount of times. And this is why he's so great. Because he doesn't stop until he actually perfects it. Like it's almost like he wanted to. De- it's like a watching somebody try to defy gravity. That's what Kobe Bryant. He defied any odds, any a sparkle of nope. That's not right. I should have moved two degrees to the left. Got to do it again. 
that's how that's how much he was dedicated and focused on his craft. And uh-huh. it made me really understand Kobe Bryant. I have even more respect for Kobe Bryant than I already have for him. Uh, but just being there to witness that. And that's my first time, like I said, covering a Lakers game and seeing Kobe Bryant in person work out, man. It's, it was just remarkable. And when I look, I, I, that's what sticks in my head to this day, just the dedication and the hard work and the patience and the skill level, um, you know, and what he, what he, exu- what he exuberated um, to all of us. And this is before all the fans came in, you know, we're just the reporters there. So that's wow. one of the, one of the memories I'll, I'll have of the late Kobe Bryant is just his work ethic, man. Unmatched. Yeah. My turn. Um, I never want to be old. I want to be like Peter Pan. You know, I want to be a kid and young at heart for the rest of my life, but no, with Kobe's passing and how late I came into sports journalism, I do wish that maybe I was older and in this longer because I would have loved to be able to cover the entirety of Kobe's career um, from all these secret, you know, workouts before the NBA draft that people talk about, uh, about Kobe and, and the stories that go with that and the stories of a young player and his feuds with Shaq and just like throughout it, instead of when I came in and Nick can attest to this too, from what I've heard from reporters and what we saw when we used to watch the news and the media and the Lakers games, when they were back on KCAL nine, back in the early days, you know, Kobe was mean mugging media. He was, you know, short with them. He had the Mamba mentality. He had the snarl going, you know, he was a jerk to the media. He was tough to approach. And um, that changed, I would say, right after the Achilles tear. Uh, He came back, this older, wiser veteran who knew that he was in the twilight of his career. And his job now was to pass on his knowledge and skills and secrets to the younger generation. And he was also that way with the media. He became nicer. He became kinder. He wanted to sit around and tell stories to the media. He would have conversations with you. He completely changed. And so that's the Kobe that I got to see from the media perspective and um, the, the elder statesman Kobe, who, you know, was more like the politician and, and shaking everybody's hand and smiling for photos and, and doing yeah. all of that, you know, during games and after games uh, to, to go into what Nick was saying, some behind the scenes stuff, pregame and postgame. I used to watch him go out there. He was the earliest guy in the court to practice and take up shots. I used to watch him, you know, as celebrities would roll in, give him the ball and let them shoot some shots too. That was always entertaining. And then even after games, sometimes if Kobe had a bad night, he'd go in, you know, do his workout, come back out to the court and start shooting half court shots and challenge guys to do half court shots with him. And we're sitting there trying to do our standups uh, on the court and Kobe's in there practicing and shooting half court shots behind us. Some of that was always was memorable as a media member, obviously the 81 point game, which I wasn't covering, but I remember, I believe it was on a Sunday afternoon and I was watching Dodgers and we heard he was approaching. So I quickly switched over at halftime to the Lakers game and never turned away again, watching him score 81 points, which is something I'll probably never see in my lifetime. And just how much he dominated that Toronto Raptors team there down the stretch. And and in the end of that game, yeah, that was pretty amazing. And then um, uh, my favorite though moment, and I wasn't a journalist at this time was game seven of the 2010 NBA finals against the Boston Celtics. I'm sitting up in the 200 section. I got my 
Ron Artest jersey on at the time. My girlfriend was wearing my Kobe jersey. And I, I basically bought game seven tickets before the NBA finals even started. I said, I'm going to wow. watch the six games. And I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that this goes to a game seven. And I got tickets for it. And sure Amazing. enough, they were down 3-2. They blew out Boston in game six when they were back home. Pau Gasol had a great game. Kobe had a great game. And we got our game seven. And so I'm stoked. I'm like, we're going to win the NBA finals tonight. This is like the most amazing moment. My girlfriend was at the time was happy to be there. And Kobe's like one for 15 from the field. And I'm freaking out. I am freaking out. And I can see the frustration on Kobe's face. Uh, I can, Boston was like up by like nine to 11, the whole first half, like the whole game. I'm panicked because Kobe can't hit the broadside of a barn and like nobody else is doing anything. It's a low scoring defensive game because these two teams were gritty defensive minded teams. And so at halftime, I go out to that little, uh, that little like outside balcony section above like the star plaza. And I take like five shots of whiskey and I yell at my girlfriend, like you're jinxing Kobe, give me that Jersey. And I put the Kobe Jersey on and she put on the, the Ron Artest Jersey and I grabbed a Brown paper bag so I could breathe into <laughs> if I needed to in that second half, which I actually had to do a couple times. And I watched Kobe who couldn't hit a shot, grab like 15 rebounds, and affect the game in other ways and will his way, despite not being able to hit a shot, to win that game, passing the ball to Ron Artest, who hit the clinching three, passing it to Pau Gasol, passing it to Derek Fisher, trying to impact the game in other ways because his shot wasn't falling and willing that team to beating the rival Boston Celtics, which he'll say was his probably favorite championship he ever won for multiple reasons. And that's probably my favorite Kobe story of just watching him, uh, whether it be as a fan or as a media person. Unbelievable. Those are both amazing stories. Thank you guys so much for sharing, uh, particularly you know, the media insight, the fan insight as well. It's very valuable and unique. So I'd like to ask you guys something, I guess, each a little bit more personal about something you specifically have both said or written and follow-up opinions. So Nick, specifically, I know that you were once on air saying that Kawhi Leonard was the player that reminded you the most of Kobe Bryant. I also wrote a piece about that during those playoffs. And I wanted to know um, why you say Kawhi, if you still say Kawhi. And then, Michael, I, I would love to hear from your perspective as someone who has followed the NBA and covered it for a long time, who you would most compare that is playing today to Kobe Bryant and his play style, tenacity, all that good stuff. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Mamba Moments in part one of my interview conducted with Nick Hamilton and Michael Duarte. Remember that any proceeds that I personally make will go towards the Mamba and Mambasita Sports Foundation. So remember to download and subscribe and anyone you share it with because each subscription and any proceeds I make will go towards the Mamba and Mambasita Sports Foundation to help keep the legacy of Kobe Bean Bryant alive. So thank you for tuning in and stay tuned for part two of my interview with Nick Hamilton and Michael Duarte. Mamba out, Mamba forever. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.